We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you. All right. Hey, I'm so glad to see you this morning. You glad you're in the Lord's house this morning? Amen. I'm glad you're glad because I know I'm glad and uh, I don't really care if you are glad. I'm going to be glad all by myself because I am happy. I am like the scripture says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I get excited every Sunday morning. In fact, I'm going to let you in on something. I get so excited. We're going to start a thing on Sunday night and Wednesday night, a prayer meeting. We're going to go through Bible book study and have a prayer time. Just kind of, we'll give you more information that, uh, about that as we get a little closer to the first of the year, but that begins the first of the year on Monday nights excuse me, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and so uh, I want to let you know that's coming. Uh, we're going to finish our Missions Emphasis Month today. We're going to finish the amazing little book of Jonah. Now, let me ask you, if you haven't been here, go ahead and go to the index and find Jonah. Otherwise, at the end of the service, you'll think somebody tore it out of your Bible because he's tucked away hidden. And have you enjoyed the book of Jonah? I have. First time I've ever uh, preached through Jonah. It's a great book, and it, it is really an, a, a great missions handbook for any church and any follower of Jesus. It helps us know what we should do. It helps us see some things we shouldn't do, and it points to the fact of what God will always do. And it's amazing. It's just, it's compact in these four amazing little chapters. So I've enjoyed this minor prophet a minor prophet just meaning small book, uh, so much we're going to camp out there. And uh, starting next week, we're going to do another minor prophet. Uh, prophet, his name is Habakkuk. And that's a real book in the Bible. So, you know, I didn't make that up. He's really in there. You'll have to go to the index to find him too. It's just three chapters. And it's going to help us get ready for Thanksgiving. It's going to help us de develop in our heart a season of gratitude uh, in the world that we live in, which is really nuts right now. So in the book of Jonah, uh, we, have, we call this uh, series, I guess, this mission mini-series, uh, the greatest little mission story ever. And it is, in fact that. It's amazing. And if you missed any of the messages, I would encourage you uh, to go and check them out because it will help develop in you, in us all, a mission mentality, which is what we're supposed to have. Now, as we began, we've covered a few points found uh, in message titles, and it's this. On the back of your worship guide, if you're a note taker, fill these blanks in. Don't miss it. Everybody pay attention, lean in if you want to know them. The first one is a command to missions. That's what we saw. We are all commanded to be missional-minded. We're all commanded to be missional in sharing the love of God to a dark world. If you are a believer, you contain within you the light of the world. And you are to carry that uh, light as an ambassador to a dark world. A command to missions. We're all under it if we're a believer. Number two, a common response to missions. We looked in the life of Jonah what looks like us. We all look like Jonah sometimes. And, and so in the life of Jonah, the common response, it's a common response to missions is that we just simply don't do it. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Because it colors outside the lines of our normal conversations. And so that's the common response. Number three, we saw a commitment to missions. There's always a standing commitment to missions. And I mean, it's focused, it's intentional, it's direct, 
but it's not ours. The commitment to the missions, the standing commitment comes from God himself. He never backs up. He never relinquishes his call to the world. He is always missional. And then next we saw a commitment, I'm, I'm sorry, a compelling reason to join the mission. We saw last week that a, one great compelling reason for you and me to be engaged in missions is this. Just like Jonah, when we are disobedient to the missional call of, of God upon our life, people around us get hurt. Some people die lost in their sins because we simply were disobedient. And, and then we can even fine-tune that and, and dial it in. And when we're disobedient to God, other people around us hurt and suffer. And so the point was this, we're not the only ones in the boat. Just like Jonah in his disobedience, he wasn't the only one in the boat. And so everybody around him suffered because of his disobedience. And God knows and God gives us and tells us a compelling reason for you. Tell the person next to you, he's talking to you. The reason God wants you to be missional is because the people in your circle, you have people that you influence that other people will never have an audience or an ear with them. You have people that you can reach with the love of God in their life that other people never could. It may look like your family. It may like, look like your workplace. It may look like your school. It may look like your neighborhood. Whatever it looks like, God has called you and the compelling reason to be committed to missions is because you're not the only one in the boat. It's not about you. Tell the person next to you it ain't about you. Yeah, you know you like saying that. Maybe you didn't like hearing it, but you like saying it. Now, we're going to skip chapter 2 for a minute, and we're going to dive on down deeper into chapter 3, because it'll help us kind of see what happens when we do what we're supposed to do, and that's it. So number five on the back of your worship guide is a completion of the mission. Now, if God, the creator, the whisperer of all things, is committed to something, he's going to get it done. The scripture says he's faithful to complete what he has started in us. He, he is a completer of the project. Jesus came, Jesus left, Jesus is coming back. He will complete that. Jesus will come back. Jesus left, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's been building our heaven for over 2,000 years. He will complete the project. God always completes what he started, Amen. Now, that's good. That's good news. So he, he's going to complete the mission. This is what it looks like. Chapter 3 begins like this. Verse 1. The Lord's message came to Jonah a second time. Now, hang on just a second. Let's get the context so we know how cool and how gracious that one line is for you and for me. In context, Jonah has been disobedient to God. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I ain't going to do it. He got on a boat going in the opposite direction. Rather than going east 500 miles to Nineveh, he's on a ship going 2,000 miles west to Tarshish in the southern tip of Spain. While on the boat in the Mediterranean Sea, God whipped up a storm. He hurled a, a storm. That's what scripture says. And it got so bad, the sailors were afraid for their life. They cast cargo off the boat. Jonah's asleep. They wake him up and say, pray to your God. Jonah says, throw me in. And that's the only way the storm will go away. So the sailors throw Jonah in. They repent, ask for forgiveness for killing Jonah. Jonah lands in the water. And the Bible says God sent a big fish to swallow Jonah. That's the context. But listen what happens. Right before chapter 3, verse 1, we read chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to this. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. 
It's this moment laying at the lowest point in his life, wrapped in whale vomit, that God comes to him with a message a second time. Now, I'm telling you, that is consumed with the grace and the goodness and the love of God. It is at his life's lowest point, wallowing in the vomit of a big fish, that God says, hey, Jonah, I'm still not finished with you yet. I'm telling you, church, that's good stuff. That's what only God does. Your wife don't do that, husbands. Your husbands don't do that, wives. Your children don't do that, parents. We, we don't do that to each other. God does that. God comes to us at our lowest point, and he says, I want to come to you a second time. You see, God is a God of second and third chances. And, and just like Jonah, we've all ran, ran from God. We've got, had a call on our life, an invitation on our life, something God wants us to do. Maybe he wants us to go on a mission trip. Maybe he wants us to start a ministry. Maybe he wants us to be baptized. Maybe he's invited us to come and get, to be saved and receive his grace gift. And, and we've heard the call, but we went in the opposite direction. And I'm here to tell you, God is so good. He loves you so stinking much. He stands at the door of our lowest point, and he comes to us a second and a third time and says, Nothing's changed. I still have an invitation for you. Isn't that good to know? Amen. He's a good God. Now, maybe our disobedience doesn't look like whale vomit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay? But maybe it's not too far off. Maybe instead of going 180 degrees in the opposite direction of where God has called us, we've just kind of veered off a little bit you know like when you're on the interstate and your phone rings and you reach over to get it next thing you know you're going you know oh yeah let me get back over here maybe it looks like that or maybe we have hit we've run off in the bushes when I was in Alabama we sold some equipment and it was in Tupelo Mississippi and we could only service the equipment on third shift and so I took our warehouse manager to show him how to service the equipment because I didn't want to go up there on third shift. So we went up there at midnight, about three and a half hours away, and I showed him, and it took us two, two and a half hours to service the equipment. So we were getting ready to get in the truck about 2.33 in the morning. Calvin was his name, love him, great friend of mine. Calvin says, I feel pretty good. You want me to drive first? I said, yeah, you drive first. We're in a brand new company truck. And he drove, I trusted him, so I went into a coma over in the passenger seat. And so he drove all, almost all the way home to Birmingham. He's within 45 minutes of home, and he wakes me up. He says, Joel, you're going to have to drive, man. I cannot stay awake. And by now, it's, it's getting early in the morning. Sun's starting to come up. He says, you feel good? <laughs> Sometimes I, I say the dumbest things. I said, this is my favorite time to drive. <laughs> and so he pulled over. I got in the driver's seat. I hadn't been in the driver's seat two, three minutes. He woke me up. We're in the middle of a field. He said, I thought you said it was your favorite time to drive. I said, well, apparently it's my favorite time to take a nap too. I said, I got this now. He said, no, you don't. Let me back over there, all right? Now, what's the point of that? Okay, sometimes we veer off a little 
sometimes we go into a spiritual coma and wander off in the middle of a field somewhere simply because we're not intentional about being obedient to the missional call of God on our life. So maybe it doesn't smell like well vomit. Maybe it just looks like disobedience and we feel distance and, and, and not connected to the God that loves us so much. Now, verse number two, he's coming to him a second time. It's a great point. Watch this. He says in verse two, Jonah, I want you to go immediately to Nineveh, that large city, and proclaim, it, uh, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Have you heard that before? Sure you have. The first time he told him. This is what's so good about God. He's not a moving target. God's goal for you today is the same goal God has for your life yesterday and tomorrow. His rules never change. His, uh, his, his com commission never change. His call on your life never changes. It's always the same. He doesn't dial it back and say, well, you know that Jonah, he was a pretty good prophet. But now, man, look, he's a loser. I mean, he, he, he doesn't know how to obey. I thought he was ready to go to the Ninevites, but he just wasn't ready. And, and he's not the prophet that I thought he was, so he's not going to be able to do that. So I'm just going to dial him back a little bit, and I'm going to have him go to the neighborhood next to Nineveh. No, he doesn't do that. The command the second time, the call the second time, is the same as it was the first time. Are you ready? I want you to go to that big old city called Nineveh and tell them what I'm about to tell you. God's command for you is the same today as it was yesterday. God's just waiting for us to conform, waiting for us simply to be obedient to what it is he has called us to do because God is committed to the mission and God will complete his mission. Now, the good thing is this. God is still the God of second chances He's still the God of third chances. Why? Because he's committed to the mission and he's committed to the missionary. That's good. No matter where you find yourself today, God has not moved. And God's commission and his command on your life has not moved. And he's still inviting you to engage in the thing that he placed in your heart. There's people in here today, I know, that somewhere in life's journey, God just kind of touched a nerve deep in your soul and said, I want you to do this for me. I've conditioned you for it. I've, I've uh, called you to it. I want you to do that thing. And it, it, for some, it might be, you know what? I think me and my family need to be in a life group or community group, somebody to do life with. Maybe for you, it's I don't need to be in a community group. I need to lead or host a community group. I need to teach a class. Uh, maybe for some, it's I need to find a ministry to serve in. Maybe for others, it's I no, a ministry I'm supposed to birth or start. Uh, maybe for you it's, you know what, I've saved and I know I'm supposed to be baptized, but it's awkward for me. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. What are people going to think? And so we never make the commitment to, to follow Jesus 
in believer's baptism. Maybe for some of us it's, you know what, I, I think I'm supposed to read a book that somebody told me would help me. For others, I think that God has spoken to you, you need to write a book that God has placed on your heart. So here it is. That thing, that moment, that unction, that urge, that compelling thing that rise, rises up in your heart that God has sent you. Listen, I truly believe on this day in this moment, he's coming to you in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your disobedience, and he's saying, I'm coming to you again. It hasn't changed. I still love the stew out of you. I would die on a cross again today for you. I created you to look like me, and I have a a job for you to do, and it's good, and it has not changed. I still want you to do that thing that I have invited you into obedience to accomplish. Now, that's good news for us. It is good news for us. Jonah had done what often we do. That thing rises up spiritually in us that we know we should do, and flesh rises up to the occasion and tells spirit you all the reasons why that is not a good idea you see we saw that a few weeks ago that in all of us there's a battle that wages that's going on right now in every single one of us look at the person next to you and say he's talking to you again here it is spirit man inside the new you that Jesus has redeemed and sealed and placed his, uh, himself within to take up residence in you. That's spirit you. And it walks around in flesh you. Flesh you is the old way of doing things. It's been trained to do things to satisfy itself. It's hungry, it eats. It's sad, it cries. It's cool, it looks for heat. It's hot, it looks for cool. Flesh longs to satisfy. Meanwhile, spirit rises up and says, I, it's not supposed to be all about you on the outside. It's supposed to be on the inside, the spirit you, to find peace and to satisfy the commands of God in our life. And so sometimes we pursue flesh. To put it in layman's terms, we play stupid really good sometimes. Jonah did it. Amen? Yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes you don't have to finish it because we all know it's true. We all play stupid sometimes. And God is still a God who loves us and reaches in our flesh pursuit and invites us out. So what we do sometimes is we get to a place in our Christian journey, things happen in our life, and we get a little disenchanted with God, with our journey, with Christianity, with the church. It just kind of doesn't look like what we thought it would look like, right? And so rather than diving in, we're apprehensive. We kind of pull back on the reins because the last time I dove into Jesus, I got hurt a little bit, right? And God's saying, listen to me. Just because you got hurt doesn't mean you're out of the calling and the command that God put on your life. 
He knows, as we should know, when we are fully obedient to Jesus, listen, I need you to hear this. When we are fully obedient to Jesus, sometimes it's going to hurt. You know how I know that? Look what happened to Jesus, right? And he's our template. He's our role model. He is who our life should look like. And sometimes obedience to God simply hurts. But I'm here to tell you today, just like in Jonah, the book of Jonah, it's not too late for you. Tell the person next to you, it's not too late. They didn't hear it that time. Say it a little louder. It's not too late. Some of the people didn't say it, so let's all tell the ones that didn't say it. Everybody say it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late for that thing that God has placed in you to rise up and, and, and you to say, that's it. I know it, and I'm in, God. Use me. Do this thing that you've placed in my heart, and God will hear your prayer. So listen now to verse 3. So Jonah went immediately to Nineveh. <laughs> Something about well vomit moves you to obedience. You spent a couple of days, not at the Hilton, but in the belly of a big fish, puked out on the shore. God says, I need you to go there. That's where I was headed. Let me get cleaned up a little bit. That's where I'm going. All right. It says that Jonah went immediately to Nineveh in keeping with the Lord's message. Now, Nineveh was an enormous city. It required three days to walk through it. Jonah began to enter the city by going one day's walk, announcing, listen to his sermon, at the end of 40 days... Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, when obedience is our response to God, grace shows up and a new day dawns. Now, that is cool. When obedience is our response to God, grace shows up and a brand new day dawns in our life. And I know there are people in here today that have been walking in disobedience to God. But in the moment that our response becomes not disobedience, but obedience, grace comes rushing in and a new day dawns in our life. That's exciting. You know why? Because when a new day dawns in your life, the point last week is we're not the only one in the boat when a new day dawns in your life because of the grace that showed up, because of your obedience to the commands of God, you're not the only one in the boat. And the people in your circle, the people in your world, the people that, that know you, they walk in the blessing that you begin to walk in on this new day that has dawned. It, it's, when you read this, you got to see that it's like nothing ever happened. It's almost like you can take chapter 1. And chapter 3, and, and throw the biggest part of it away, like nothing ever happened. It, it, like it was the first time that God comes to Jonah. And, and so that's what happens when we begin to be obedient. Now, watch his message. I had to chew on this a little bit. <clears throat> Depending on which translation you read, this is his sermon. Okay? This is his sermon. It's between 7 and 12 words. At the end of 40 days... Nineveh will be overthrown. Me and Clark are preparing way too much. I mean, we, we ought to be able to just preach about a 12-word sermon. It ain't starting today. Don't get your hopes up. I already got one prepared. 
Maybe we ought to just start coming in here on Sunday morning and say, God has given me a message. Unless you repent and change, which is what you really want, okay? That's what he told Jonah to tell those people. It's that, that's his sermon. That's his sermon. Listen, it's not the length of the sermon that affected a wicked nation. It was simply the obedience of one person under the commission and the call and the command of God. He goes on and he says, verse 5, this is their response to this little mini message, sermonette. This is the people of Nineveh believed in God and they declared a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat on ashes. Verse 7, the king issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, cattle or sheep, is to taste anything. They must not eat and they must not drink water. Every person and every animal must put on sackcloth and must cry earnestly to God. And everyone must turn from their evil way of living and from the violence that they do. Who knows, perhaps God might be willing to change his mind and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not die. Verse 10, when God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil way of living, God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with and did not destroy them. One person, Jonah, who had to go through hell and back, landing in the vomit of a well on a seashore, found himself obedient to the command of God in his life, and a whole nation repented and was spared. It's amazing, is it not? One person could have been you, might still be you, could be me, that, that there's a thing, an, an act of obedience that God's inviting us and, 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 and nudging us and compelling us toward. And in that obedience, God could do something miraculous. But because of our disobedience, it's not happening. Now, this is probably, arguably, the greatest awakening, the greatest day of repentance in human history. It is the greatest recorded day of repentance and awakening in human history. And I'll show you that in just a second. The whole wicked nation of Nineveh, from top to bottom, repented. And God relented of his uh, call to judgment upon them. Now, what, why, why would I say it's the largest ever recorded? Because it's recorded. How do I know how big it was? It's recorded. Look down just a little bit in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. God tells us how big this revival, not a revival, because revival is for saved people, but this awakening, this repentance happens. Jonah 4, verse 11, God says to Jonah, should I not be more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. Over 120,000 people repented in a day. Now, that's pretty amazing, all because... One person found themselves willing to be obedient to God. Now, let me make a, an amazing point right here. 
Jonah didn't know what was going to happen. Jonah could have just as easily, because the Ninevites hated Israel. Israel hated the Ninevites. Ninevites were wicked and, and uh, uh, ruthless. Jonah could have went in there and they could have laughed at him, tortured him, peeled his skin off, put, pinned his tongue to the sand and killed him and there'd be no response. God could have allowed that to happen because God is God. Listen, the response to our commission and our call, that thing that God is, is leading us and pressing us and encouraging us to, the response to that is not our responsibility. That's liberating. When we know all we have to do is tell the people in our circle, hey, God loves you. Hey, would you come to church with me? Because, and if they say, why would you invite me to church? Because the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to go out into the hedges and the highways and compel people to come so that his house can be full. Why would you tell me that God loves me? Because he told me through his scripture and his Holy Spirit that he loves me. And through his scripture and his Holy Spirit, he told me to tell you. That's it. That's all we're called to do. We don't have to know all the theology of God. We don't have to know all the doctrines of the church. We don't have to know all the answers to, to biblical questions that they want to throw at us that really nobody knows. And when they ask us some silly question about the Bible that you don't know the answer to, you just look at them and say, huh, that is a good question. I don't know. And I ain't worried about it. He didn't tell me to know that. He told me to tell you that he loves you and he wants you to come to church with me. All right? And if they never come to church with you, you are obedient, and they're just left in their disobedience. Isn't that good to know? It's liberating. I know it's liberating. I'm a preacher. I preach every week. I give a share of the gospel every week. How often I never see somebody get saved. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers in all of history. In London, he would preach to five to 10,000 people without amplification. <clears throat> and somebody, a young preacher asked Charles Spurgeon, he said, I come visit your church and people get saved every week. And, and he said, there's weeks that go by at my church and people don't get saved. And Charles Spurgeon asked him a loaded question. He said, do you expect God to save people every single Sunday? And the preacher said, well, no, not necessarily every Sunday. And Spurgeon said, there's your problem. We should expect people to be saved every week. I, I expect that every week, and weeks it don't happen. You know what? That used to burden me. But as long as I am obedient in sharing the truth of God and the good gospel of Jesus, I'm not responsible for the results. I may just be planting seed for weeks and weeks and weeks. I may be cultivating or watering seed that somebody else has planted for weeks and weeks and weeks. And on an occasion, God lets me experience the harvest where he saves somebody and I get to be part of it. It's the same for you. We're not responsible for the results or the response. We're responsible for simply being obedient to God's call on our life. Greg Laurie, who is a, a preacher in California who I follow, I listen to him and I read after him and he's an evangelist and he tells this story that years ago he traveled with Billy Graham and he said one day they had a big crusade and, and, and hundreds if not thousands of people had given a response to receive Jesus for salvation and so they were in the car going back to the hotel and, and Greg Laurie said he was in the front, front seat passenger side, the driver's over here, Billy Graham's in the back and his son Franklin Graham is in the back with him. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to encourage Billy a little bit. And he said, I turned around and he said, Billy, I just want to tell you, man, that was a great sermon you preached tonight. 
and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all those people got saved. Good job. You did a great job tonight. He said Billy Graham looked at him. He goes, Greg, it's simply the gospel. And Greg was like, okay. So he kind of turned around in his seat. He's like, I was just trying to encourage him. And so he thought at the end of the service, Billy Graham had given a great illustration about grace. And said he turned around, he said, hey, Billy, I want to tell you, that illustration about grace being what does all the work in salvation, that was really well done. And I think people understood that. And he said, he looked at him, Billy Graham said, it's what grace does. And so he just turned around, he said, I didn't say anything else the whole trip home. And he said, over a series of weeks and months and years traveling with Billy Graham, he realized Billy Graham got it. Billy Graham would not take credit for people getting saved because Billy Graham couldn't save anybody. It was God who saved. And at the same time, Billy Graham would not accept the criticism that people gave of him for his simple way of preaching because he was obedient to God and he wasn't worried about criticism. It's the same for us. Somebody gets saved, that's what God did. Yeah, he, got, he used you and that's really beautiful. And when somebody criticizes you for maybe being a Jesus freak, invite, man, would you leave me alone about church? You don't receive that criticism. You're being obedient to a higher calling than this lost, dark world that we live in. And so Psalm verse three, chapter 3, verse 8 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It did for Jonah in Nineveh. It does for you. It does for me in my circle. And so you have to agree, if you've been here for the last three or four weeks, that we're under the commission of God to share the gospel, the love of God to a lost and dying world. Would you agree with that? Say, I, I would. Well, if we're under the commission of God, <clears throat> which is the command of God, then why do we not do it? Well, Brother Joel, I, I don't hang out with a lot of lost people. Well, you should. You don't, I'm a preacher. I hang out down here with Tim and Clark and Carol, okay? They're all saved. Now, I could practice on them, okay? We've got to get in a lost world so we can share the gospel message. Clark shared when he preached a few weeks ago this thing called the 1040 window. The 1040 window was defined <clears throat> by a missionary who realized this staggering statistic that altitude, between altitude of 10 and 40 on the globe, there's a, a window of, of land where people live. Let me show you. That's the 1040 window, between 10 and 40 degrees altitude. Inside that 1040 window, about two-thirds of the world lives. Now listen, there's about seven and a half billion people walking around, hanging out on this globe, right? Out of those, about five billion, a little less, live in that square, in that window. Now everybody on the planet find themselves in what's called a people group. America is a people group, okay, North America. A people group is part of the mission of God. You remember we defined the mission of God as God inviting people from all people groups into his forever family. Well, inside that, just that rectangle right there, nearly 5 billion people. 
And inside that window right there, there are over 7,000 people groups that are defined as unreached. To be an unreached people group in that square or in any square, it means less than two out of a hundred have access to the gospel of Jesus. Scary, isn't it? So out of five billion people, less than two out of every hundred have access to the gospel. Included is India. India has over 2,000 people groups that don't have access to the gospel. China has 445, Pakistan 386, Bangladesh 293, Nepal 258 people groups that are unchurched that have no access to the gospel and they're found in that window. The poorest of the poor world live in that window. And so some, we have a missions emphasis month, and we'll take some people to Kenya. Uh, Keith and Tanya just got back. We'll take people to Brazil. We'll take people to Honduras. We'll take people, we've got a team in Kentucky. There's an unreached people group. That's why they lost last night. That's a joke. It's a joke. We've got people up there. Clark's preaching up there today, and we've got a team up there with them, Okay. Here's the point. We, sometimes we talk about this 1040 window, over 5 billion people, and it's staggering. And it kind of sets us back on our heels. And we're like, I don't even know where to begin with that. Begin with your 1040 window. For Jonah, his 1040 was called Nineveh. What's your 1040? And maybe my 1040 is my 126. That's my address. <laughs> maybe... Maybe my 1040 begins at 126, my home, and those intimately connected to my home. Maybe my 1040 is 126, which is my street, and the people who live on my street. And I got some good folks that live on my street. One of them fed me sausage bread this morning, all right? Maybe it's not my 126 or my address. Maybe my 1040 is my 865, my area code. Maybe my 1040 is my 849. That's the last three digits of my zip code. I don't know what your 1040 Nineveh window looks like, but you have one. You see, if God commissions us, commands us, conditions us, and calls us, he didn't do all that for us to sit on the bench and do nothing. He did all of that because he's got a circle, a window, a mission field that he was preparing you for. That's really cool. You see, God wants to use you to change the dimension of heaven and hell. That's, that's beautiful because I know you. <laughs> I don't know why he would want to do that with you. And you know me. And I know me. And I don't know why he would want to do that with me. Why would he go to Jonah in the whale vomit and say, a second time, I got a place for you to go. Because it's not about Jonah. And it's not about me. And it's not about you. 
It's about a God so good that he will do anything to rescue people from their lostness and deliver them into the light of his glorious son for all of eternity. That's, amen, that's, that's him, that's what it is. And so he wants us to be engaged in this thing. So here we are. I want to venture to say most of us, if we were truthful with ourselves, standing before the Lord Jesus, we would say, I've kind of not done that great. I haven't been the greatest missionary in my circle and in my world, right? Would anybody be willing to say, yeah, that's me? It's me, okay, and it's you too. We have some people, I mentioned Keith and Tanya, you know, they come over here and they, they work and work and work to provide resources so they can go do ministry in Kenya. It's beautiful. And they do, they do probably as well as anybody I know. We've got friends in Honduras that live in Honduras. We've got a, 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 a family I'm getting ready to meet moving to Mexico to do full-time ministry there. We've got people who do it well, but for the most part, we just don't do it well. We kind of look a little Jonah-y a lot of the time. We don't invite people to church so that the house will be full. We, we don't intentionally tell people, hey, man, I know you're going through stuff. I just want to tell you, man, God loves you, and I'm praying for you. If you'd ever like to talk more about that, I'd love to tell, tell you more about that. We just don't do it well. How do we go from that to the place where God wants us to be? It's a good question, right? And strangely enough, it's found right here in this mission handbook called Jonah. What's the catalyst that moves somebody from zero impact on their world to changing the destiny of a nation. It's found in chapter 2, a compliance to the mission. How do we comply to the mission that God has placed in our life after we've lived in disobedience? Are you ready? Here it is. Watch this. Chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prayed. That's it. That's it. That's the catalyst, the game changer, the thing that turns everything upside down or back right side up, he prayed. Now listen to his prayer. He prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish, which is a good place to pray. And he said, I called out to the Lord from my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried out for help. Now listen, he changes it from he, it gets personal. He said, and you heard my prayer. He says, you threw me into the deep waters. Into the middle of the sea, the ocean current engulfed me. All the mighty waves you sent, they just swept over me. I thought I had been banished from your sight and that I would never again see your holy temple. Water engulfed me up to my neck and the deep ocean surrounded me and seaweed was wrapped around my neck. I went down to the very bottoms of the mountains. The gates of the netherworld barred me in forever. But you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I called out to the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit this mercy that could be theirs. But as for me, I promise to offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. I will surely do what I have promised. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That place that we all long for, that moment where we have this <clears throat> keen awareness of peace with God, 
who created us, who designed us, who knit us together while we were yet in our mother's womb, who calls us out of the depth of our sin and invites us on this incredible journey that lasts forever. That moment when we stand before God and we have that peace happens when we go before God in prayer and repent and say, God, I've messed this up and I'm sorry. And I feel the weight of disobedience in my life. God loves you. God will do what it takes to direct, encourage, and to draw us back into conformity of his will for our life. Sometimes all he has to do is tender discipline. He just loves us, reminds us, beckons us, challenges us, puts people in our life, and gets us back into obedience. <clears throat> Sometimes our old flesh, stubborn, obstinate, sinful heart rises up against spirit, and God says, are we going to have to go down that road? Jonah says, and he knows where his discipline has come from, Jonah says, you threw me in. You swept over me. But he doesn't stop there. It says, but you brought me up. He'll, this day should be a day of tender encouragement from the Lord that he loves you, he's conditioned you, he called you, commanded, and he's saying, I just want you to do what you know you should do. Let's not find ourselves in a place where he has to throw us in and sweep us over. Let's do it on the front end and save ourselves a lot of heartache and, tr and trouble. Why is God so committed and so willing to be patient with us? Because he's madly in love with the image bearers on this planet he's madly in love with you he's madly in love with the most lost person on this planet the Ninevites those that look like Ninevites the people that you don't that you don't like okay those people he's madly in love with them too and he knows that every single person has a timeline and he knows when the end of that timeline is and he knows you have a timeline and he knows he wants you to do everything possible to reach them before their timeline is up and before your timeline is up. And so he's going to do what it takes for us to get to that place where amazing things happen. And right now, I would love to say, church, who feels convicted that you haven't done what you should have been doing regarding the mission of God in your life. But I don't want to do it because people would not raise their hand and say me. And that would be a lie in church and I don't want to cause that. Because the truth is, God wants to move us all to a different place in our journey with him reaching a lost world. So before we talk about whether or not we will do that or not, I want you to look at a, a, an odd thing, the final chapter of Jonah. And I'll call it a complaint 
about the mission of God. Jonah goes in. He's the greatest evangelist in the history of mankind. A whole nation, a wicked, vile, ruthless nation, all of them repent. Jonah ought to be sitting back twiddling his thumbs thinking, wow, God, from the belly of a well to the greatest preacher in the history of mankind, thank you for choosing to love me like that. Right? That seems like a good chapter four. Doesn't work that way. Chapter four begins, this displeased Jonah terribly. What did? That he saved Nineveh. It says, and he became very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. Because I knew that you're gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And the one who relents concerning threatened judgment. So now, Lord, why don't you just kill me instead because I'd rather die than live. And the Lord said, are you really so angry? Verse 5. So Jonah left the city and he sat down east of it. (laughs) Greatest evangelistic movement in the history of mankind. And he gets his underwear bunched up and he's sitting out there pouting. Hmm? nuts he goes on he says he made a shelter for himself there and he sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city man they repented god surely you're not gonna save them verse six of the lord god appointed a little plant caused it to grow up over jonah to be a shade over his head to rescue him from his misery now jonah was very delighted about the little plant Verse 7, so God sent a worm at dawn the next day, and it attacked the little plant so that it dried up. And when the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind, so the sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. So he despaired of his life, and he said, I'd rather die than live. And God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And he said, I'm as angry as I could possibly be verse 10 the Lord said you were upset about this little plant something for which you did not work nor did you do anything to make it grow it grew up overnight and died the next day should I not be more concerned about Nineveh this enormous city there are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong as well as many animals listen to me church if we're not careful We live our whole life as Jonah for Christians. You say, how do you get that? You know why Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh? Because he loved himself more than he loved the Ninevites. Because he loved his own personal way more than he loved the way and the will of God. And when we do that, Our world is eternally affected by it. Listen to me. You and I cannot go through our life refusing to share the love of God, 
compelling people to come into his house so that it'll be full and be obedient to God. We can't. It's just simple. If we're not sharing, we're disobedient. How do I know? Because the great commandment is simple. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jonah loved him some Jonah. When the little plant came up, oh man, he was delighted. I'm happy. I got me a nice little plant keeping me cool. But when things stopped being about Jonah, he was out of the game. That's what we do. You know we like taking care of ourselves. You know we like comfortable world for us. And meanwhile, the whole suffering lost world is missing the message that God has placed in our heart. Jesus said in Luke 10 too, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. That's what I'm going to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And maybe you're here, and that sounds so out there, so vast and immeasurable and unobtainable. The greatest mission in your life begins first in your life. You can't share what it is you do not have. And so we all have to ask a question before we ask God where our mission field is, where our 1040 is. We have to say, God, am I your child? Have I received your grace gift? Have you adopted me into your forever family? Because if there's a seed of doubt about that, he's coming you today, to you today in your mess a second time and inviting you into his family. How do you do that? How do you respond? You simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I have messed up so much, and I'm sorry for that. I'm not sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I offended such a good and gracious God. And I believe, God, that Jesus died on a cross to pay my sin debt. So I want Jesus to come into my life and forgive me and wash me clean and implant your spirit in me to lead me, to direct me, to, to uh, help me know and to, to, to do what it is you would have me to do from this day forward. God, I thank you for hearing my prayer. And I thank you for choosing to love somebody like me so much that you would die in my place. And for the rest of us, I'm praying right now, God, just like Jesus said, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And God, I know that that's more true today than it was 2,000 years ago. But God, I'm praying to you that from this spot, 904 Dry Gap Pike, you will send missionaries into homes, into neighborhoods, subdivisions, schools, teams, cities, states, all around the world.
that the workers will no longer be few and the harvest will be great. I thank you, God, that you're patient and willing that none should perish. And that's why Jesus has not returned yet for the church. So, God, help us live every day as if this could be the day that Jesus busts the sky wide open to come for his church. That we would make every day count. And we would say every day, we would see every day as a day, an opportunity to be engaged in your great mission and your commission upon our life. Quicken our hearts, God. Give us direction. Thank you for the second and third chance. Help us move forward in obedience that you would use us to change the world around us and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen and amen. We're gonna stand and sing and our altar is open. We've got pads down here you can come and pray uh, pray on. And if God's stirring your heart to do things differently, missionally, let me encourage you, don't miss the opportunity for what God wants to do through your life and in your life because it's not too late. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll sing. Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Thank you.